And you've heard me say numerous times how that the United States is is merely a... Uh, we're, we're an infant in the kingdoms of the earth. We, uh, we haven't existed very long. Uh, we're quite young in comparison to, to many, many nations. Uh, and as we... Uh, not to get political, but as we see things unfold, we know that there are, uh, there are a lot of things that are happening all around us. Now, I was, uh, I was, I was, uh, as I've been going through some stuff at my dad's place, I've been coming across a lot of things, a lot of stuff from years ago, and I found this poster of, um, presidents of the United States. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it was published in 1968, I believe. And uh, Lyndon Johnson, maybe, was president in that time. Some of you history buffs may know more accurately what year it was. But I, I look back and I, I can remember, I, I of course remember Lyndon Johnson, but I believe it was Dwight Eisenhower that was president before Lyndon Johnson. And, uh, and, and I didn't, you know, we go on through the different presidents, Nixon, Ford, uh, Carter, the, the, both of the Bushes, uh, Obama, uh, you know, and even up to the present time. Some, some of those leaders we thought more of, some we thought less of, right? But there, there is a select group of people that, uh, that we know and we read about, you even read about them in scripture, and if you've studied world history, you've also read about these guys. They were kings that were considered great. They were called great. There's about 130 kings that have existed on the earth that have, that have held the title of greatness. Those 130 kings, uh, of them, you may know some of these names. There was Cyrus the Great. Cyrus the Great was a Persian king. Cyrus was known for his being a brilliant military strategist. Uh, it was Cyrus the Great that vanquished the kings of the Medes. And Cyrus the Great's military success accounted for his country, Persia, which is now that region, region of Iran and Iraq. It contributed for his country's tremendous wealth, and it's still a very wealthy place on the earth today. Darius the Great was another one of considered of greatness. He was the third king of Persia. Uh, he was considered an administrative mastermind. He he uh, he could administer, he could he could put together a plan. Uh, his architectural genius yielded him to build great buildings <clears throat> and palaces of which the remains uh, of many of those still exist today. Those buildings were far, far ahead of their time. But in that, he also uh, he also uh, demonstrated benevolence or kindness, if you would, to people from all works and and many nations, many people of the world from different backgrounds, different skin colors, the things that oftentimes divide us. So that's sort of what made Darius great. Xerxes the Great was the son of Darius. 
He followed in his dad's footsteps. He had organizational skills which led to the expansion of Persian and Persia overthrew the Grecian Empire and it become a mighty, 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 a mightier empire, I should say. Then later there was Herod the Great. Most of you all have, like me, you've heard of Herod. We probably talked of Herod a few months ago and our Christmas plays and Christmas stories. But Herod the Great was, he was the king of Judah, but he was appointed by the mighty Roman Empire. He was an architectural genius. Uh, if you go to uh, Israel right now, Sarah and I were blessed to go there in 2012. We're itching to go back at any given time. I would love to do that and take you with us. But if you go over and you tour Israel, and especially as you go down to the coastline, the, the remnants, the remains of the mighty aqueducts that were built to carry water into Israel are still there. They still exist. And, and, and the theaters, the, the, in fact, the theater where they made spectacle of Paul is, is, is right in that same vicinity. We, we had the opportunity to go and to, uh, tour the remains of Herod's palace and it was quite extravagant even in its day. Uh, to believe it or not, even in its day, it wasn't refrigeration in the type of gas operated refrigeration that we know but even in Herod's palace he built walls of stones they were so thick that they were able to carry ice in from the northern country from the northern country and stack and put ice in that and he had fresh frozen refrigerated we would call it food even during the worst of times and this is all right in the middle of the desert and it's because of all of his ingenuity, his architectural genius, the, the aqueducts, the theaters that he built, his elite palaces, that, that he was considered great, but he still was a tyrant. And, 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 he, and he had this sense of prosperity about them. Herod was the guy, if you remember, that was threatened by the birth of Jesus. But he was still, and still is called great. Alexander the Great, the king of Macedonia, he was considered the king that changed the course of the world. In fact, it's considered if, Her- if excuse me, if Alexander the Great had not ruled and existed in the capacity that he did, that the world as we know it wouldn't even exist. That's putting a lot of responsibility on a person. He was considered the king that changed the course of the world. He's considered probably the greatest military leader, the greatest military mastermind of all time. He overthrew the Persian Empire and most of the known world of that day. So all of these leaders, and that's just a few of these 130 leaders that are deemed great, but they're deemed great by comparison. I want you to remember that. You see, sometimes you and I, we call things good or we call things great or we, we call things outstanding, but we always have to have a reference point, if you would. You know, you could say that you're good at baking cakes, but you're good in comparison to what? Those of you that are old enough to remember, if you're good, you're, if you're as good as Ellie Mae Clampett or Mrs. Douglas on Green Acres, you don't have to be too good of a cake baker. 
You could say that you're good at, uh, you know, you're good at, uh, doing whatever, but, but it's, but, it's, but everything that we measure, all of our evaluations, they are made on a comparison scale. We have a, somehow we have a standard and we have a comparison that we use. So these fellows were considered great compared to another leader or some accomplishment they made or some world goal. But I want to introduce you to another king this morning. This king was and has never been given the title great according to the world. He's never been called great. You can open the pages of Scripture and you can flip through them from front to back and you will never find that whereas this king is referred to as great. He was born in a pauper's manger. He lived a very commoner's life, a very common person if you would. He never lived in a palace He never rode a chariot overlaid with gold. He could have rode a chariot, but it wouldn't have been a king's chariot. It wouldn't have been a chariot of the great. The fact is, this first trip that we're we're commemorating today, that we celebrate Palm Sunday, this first trip into Jerusalem, Jesus made it walking on His feet. More than likely, shod with sandals. He walked a dusty road into Jerusalem. And then that brings us down to the Scripture. You understand with me, that G, this Jesus is, that I'm talking about, that's my King. That's my King. You see, He wasn't, He is not measured, He's not measured into His kingship. He's not measured into greatness in comparison to some other person, or some other being, or some other accomplishment. In fact, there is no other person, there is no other accomplishment, there is no other being that can be compared to Jesus. He's incomparable, if you would, incomparable. He, he is, he, there is, there is no one and nothing like Jesus. He's our King. I want you to go to your Bibles to John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, We find the account, John's account of the day that we're celebrating today, Palm Sunday. Christians, uh, Catholics, religions all over the world uh, today, Christian religions are celebrating Palm Sunday. Now, for the Jews, it's the season of Passover. And certainly Passover has some direct relevance in what takes place in this week in the accordance to Scripture and the prophetic word that was given forth. But understand for us as evangelical Pentecostal believers, understand for us, this Palm Sunday is the launch. It is, it is the day that is releasing us into what we call Holy Week. Which should be, if you would, Christmas is, is sacred. Christmas has its place. They, they are connected at the hip, if you would. But understand this. This is the week for us as Christian believers. And if you're in this room or you're watching and you're not a believer, you have never been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, but yet you still somewhat, you acknowledge that Christ is Savior of the world. Jesus is Lord. Understand with me that today, is the day that begins the most important week of our faith. 
It's the week of the resurrection. So we go into the scripture. John wrote, chapter 12, verse 12. He said, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. I want you to notice, they they weren't there. They weren't there because necessarily Jesus was there. They were there. It was time of the Passover. They were there for a festival. But they heard that Jesus was coming. So they neglected whatever they were doing in that moment of time. And they took palm branches and they went out to meet him. Now let me tell you where they went to. When you stand in Jerusalem, if you can, if you can picture this, and uh, I, I didn't load a, a, a overhead of this, but but if you can picture this, that you stand east of Jerusalem, as you stand east of Jerusalem, there is a mountain there, and as you stand on that mountain, you overlook, you go down through a valley, and that in that valley is the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and and then out of that valley you come up another ridge, and when you get to the crest of that ridge was the, and still is, by the way, is the Eastern Gate. Remember those old songs that we used to sing? I will meet you in the morning, just inside the Eastern Gate. But whether you realize it or not, you may think that song's corny, you may think it's old-fashioned, but there's great significance in that in that song. Because that is the gate that Jesus made his first triumphal entry in. And that's what I'm preaching to you about this morning. But there's another triumphal entry that's coming. And let me tell you right now, if you go to Jerusalem and you stand over on top of the Mount of Olives and you look across that valley, and it's really not that far. It's about like going out here out our front door and just looking over at that next ridge or so, or maybe over towards Littlesburg Road. And then you look over there and you can see the outline of the eastern gate as it still appears in the wall. And there are there are a group of religious people that, that we call Muslim and they have sealed that wall. They have sealed it with block and they have sealed it with mortar. They have sealed it over. There is no longer a gate there. It is no longer an entryway. And in front of that gate coming down the hill, there are graves there. There is a, a Muslim, an ancient Muslim cemetery with thousands and thousands thousands and thousands of graves and they put that there so we were told by our God because they believe well if this really if Jesus really is the Messiah he can't walk through that graveyard because then he would be declared unclean as the high priest but I want you to know and I want you to realize this that gate is still there and because the word of God said so just as Jesus walked through this gate in John 12 and 12 Jesus is going to walk down off a mount of olives and that gate somehow is going to swing open wide and he's going to prance right on up that hillside and he's going to enter back in to that place that is deemed his. There is a secret entry coming to Jerusalem. That's not my message. I got off on a... I don't get my... I don't get Sister Sarah a, a stuffed rabbit and when I get off on a rabbit chase she can hold it up and wave it at me. She hadn't read my message anyway. So they're over at the eastern gate. And they had palm branches which were waved. And and, and, and that's the way the honor was given to dignitaries, if you would. And as they waved the branches, they're crying out, 
Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. A number of years ago, Perry, Perry Stone was, uh, as a young man came to the church where Sister Sarah's home church, the church that she still works at during the week, and, and, and he taught everybody a song, and that so- song says, Hosanna! Blessed be the rock! And may the God of my salvation be exalted. I still love that. That is just a course. That was back in the days, of course. I still love it. Jesus is the solid rock. He's the mighty cornerstone. And they begin to cry out worship and praise unto this king. You see, in this reception, what we see is the adoration. Because that word Hosanna is all about adoration, adoring. That Jesus was adored. He, he was not adored necessarily for His appearance because His appearance was probably, in spite of the photos that are the portraits that we've seen painted, Jesus' appearance was probably that of a rugged looking man. He's a man that lived in a desert place and, and, and it was a primitive time by, by comparison to today. And, and Jesus pro, and Jesus didn't have all of the, the nice amenities of life that the, the wealthy of that time did. He was a king, but yet he was a poor king in the sense of his social standards. But they cried out, Hosanna! Adoration! They, they, they declared blessings over him. They spoke blessings over Jesus. They blessed the Lord. They, they spoke blessings onto His, into His presence as He walked in. And, and most importantly, they acknowledged Him as King of Israel or, in other words, King of the Jews. In essence, what they were saying was, that's my King. That's my King. So, so has, has they acknowledging Jesus coming in to, through that eastern gate. He's coming into Jerusalem. His very first trip. A lot of people don't know him. Most people have never seen him. No, very few have ever met him, but they have heard the story about Jesus. They, they, they've read the story that happened some 33 or 30 or 33 years ago, uh, uh, about how this baby was born in a manger in Bethlehem and it was prophesied that, that he the, the weight of the nation, the government would be upon his shoulder. They heard all of those stories and somehow along the line they believed them because I believe faith rose up in them. And every one of us in this room are just like them. We are each giving a measure of faith and because of that everyone watching by live stream today, you are given a measure of faith and there is faith that will rise up in you through the unction of the Holy Spirit that that can and will cause you to believe in Jesus the Christ as your king. So they worshiped and they blessed Jesus. So how are we to respond when in the presence of our king? How are we to respond in the presence of our king? Now, Certainly those greeters, the connect group at the Eastern Gate, they gave us some good instruction. Praise and blessing. And that brings me to my first point. My first point is 
We have to trust our king. Now see, trust is, trust is something a little bit different. Trust is something, uh, you know, uh, we, Scott back there, he's our, he's our local banker. You know, I pick at him. I, you know, when I first came here to pastor, they t- somebody told me that Scott Browning was the unofficial mayor of Blue Well. And I don't know about that much, but he, but he is the local banker. You know, he's, he, he's the, he's the guy, he's the Milburn Drysdale for you older folks. You know, y'all remember that. But, but, but everything, everything that's, that, that, that Scott has worked through however many years he's worked at the bank, it's been done through t- trust. They do deed of trust. They do, uh, you know, they do a contract, a, a loan contract. It's called a trust contract when he's, when he's loaning somebody uh, money on a car and all this. And, and I can promise you that when you go borrow money from Scott, be careful how you do that though, because the scripture says that the borrower is slave to the lender. But when you borrow money from Scott, you go down there and what happens is Scott is depending upon you to keep your part of the agreement and pay the money back. If you don't, he sends a little tow truck out to pick up your new truck. If not, your name comes up in the paper and it says your your house is about to be for sale in about two weeks. You see, it's a, it's a thing of trust. Trust, trust is, is something where that, that, you know, and, and, and again, I, I'm sorry for reminiscing today, but, but the older folks can remember this probably more than the younger folks. But, but, but trust is something that used to could be done with a handshake. Trust is something where a person could used to just say, I'll give you my word. I don't know where, I don't know where Scott has come from. I'm picking on him a little bit this morning. But I can remember when, when I first, when I first went to work, I, I didn't even go to the bank and fill out a loan application. I just call, would call the bank and say, I'm going to go, I'm going to buy me a, a car this evening or something like that. And they said, okay, just go ahead and buy it. Come in and sign the papers after you get back. It used to work that way. Because people could trust people. Well, let me tell you something. We live in a time when it's hard to trust other people. I realize that. There are crooks on every corner. There are people that 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 lack credibility. There are there are people that there are people among us, not necessarily among us in this room. I'm not saying that, but there's people in the world among us that we 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 have learned the hard way, oftentimes, that we can't trust. But the reality of it is, is we can trust our king. We can trust our king because our king is not going to lie to us. Somebody said Jesus can do anything. Uh, that's true, but it's not true. Because one thing Jesus can't do, one thing God can't do is lie. And God's not going to lie to us. His word's not going to lie to us. His word is not going to collapse. His word is not going to falter. His word is not going to fail. His word is not going to let us down. We can trust our king. And we have to cast our trust in our king. When we trust something... Just like our, maybe our children. Or maybe when you were a child. And, and, you know, I can remember my dad so many times. Uh, we, we lived, 
my dad's yard, you're either going uphill or downhill. Okay? Now, it's in, it's in Wythe County, Virginia. But let me tell you something. I believe that place washed from over here in West Virginia. I believe it washed over there. You're either going uphill or downhill. There's no flat spot in my dad's place. And I'm talking about pretty steep too. And, and I can remember, my dad, I can remember the first riding lawnmower my dad ever bought. We used to have like four push mowers. And we'd get all out there and push mow. And I remember he bought that, he bought that riding lawnmower, a little red wheel horse riding mower. And he puts me on that riding mower. He said, here, you mow and I'll hold it down to keep it from turning over. And here I am just doing good to stay on it. I'm talking about steep. I'm talking about steep. And here he said, don't worry, son. I'm not going to let it roll over with you. I, here I am scared to death. Scared to death. But you know what? Here I, I was just, I probably wasn't more than eight or nine years old. And I was on that wheel horse riding mower. I was doing my best. It was an old metal seat. I was doing my best to try not to slide off. And my dad was on the upper side of that mower. And he's walking along and he's pushing down on the fender to keep it from turning over. I went ahead and rode it out. I mowed many times like that. But the reason I did is because I trusted my father. I trusted my daddy. We have to have trust in our father. We need to trust our king. We need to put our confidence in Jesus, in his word. What thus saith the Lord, what he says to us, what he speaks into our lives. See, our king can be trusted because, and he confirms that in Romans 8 and 28, and he says, all things work together for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And we can see that our Lord, our king can be trusted in Hebrews chapter 13 when he says, I will not leave you, nor will I forsake you. He said, I'm with you all the way. I'm, I'm, you can't, listen, you can't get rid of me. You can't run far enough. Listen, we sing that song, uh, uh, uh that song about that, that, that he, that the reckless love of God. I have mixed emotions sometimes about that thought. That that part of that thought. I admit that. But listen to me. God is not going to just simply let you go, let you crumble, let you fall. He can be trusted. Put your trust in your king. The second thing is to confide in your king. Now let me tell you, in my natural life, I have, I have, I have friends I, I no doubt have a few enemies. But you know what? Through my life, I've learned that there, there's friends and then there's confidants. Confidants are those people that I can confide in and I know that it's going nowhere. Confidants are those people that I can speak to, I can share with, and they're not going to go and grab up the cell phone and text somebody or call somebody before I even get out of their sight. You see, there are those people that I, I have confidence in. And, and th- those are the people that I can bring all of my, I can bring cares to and share with them that I can't share with just anybody. And hopefully you have a confidant. You should. Your spouse should be your main one, by the way. But, there's a confidant has 
great as my wife is, and let me tell you, she is one of the most tight-lipped people in ever in the world. Sometimes I even struggle to get a kiss. But Jesus is one that you can bring all of your cares to. Your king is one that wants to hear everything that's going on in your life. Your king is one that you could come and tell it, tell him your biggest struggle. You can unload your dirtiest of dirt. You, you can, you can share with your king whatever you need to share with him and he's going to receive it and he is going to respond to you in love. Now love may not be exactly the way you want it to be, but your king is one to be confided in. He's one that cares for you. In 2 Kings chapter 19, we find that Hezekiah in that, in that account was surrounded by his enemies. Hezekiah seemed no way of getting out But it says that Hezekiah took those letters and he spread them all out before the Lord. And as he spread them all out before the Lord, that's an illustration of what God is calling us to do. He just wants us to spread everything. He wants us to give everything over to Him to come clean, if you will, and to say, here I am, God. I'm confiding in You. It's out of my control. I'm surrounded by my enemies. Everything around me is crumbling in. The earth is sinking sand all around me. Quicksand is covering covering me over. God, I need you. I spread everything out before you. I give it to you right now. And he's generous to take everything that we spread out before him. That's what he did for Hezekiah. And that's what he'll do for you. You see, so oftentimes... Uh, we we want to we want to just give God the, the the part that we think is is the most important or maybe the most urgent, but we don't want to give Him everything. He wants it all. He wants it all. He needs it all. Just spread everything out. It's not going to be a bother to Him. It's not going to upset Him. Listen, because there's nothing that you can spread out before Him that He doesn't already know. So just spread it out. Just lay it all out into His presence. Just put it all out in front of Him. You see, that's why He said, Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. There's some key statements in within that one statement there. One is let us come boldly. Two is to the throne of grace. And all of that in order that we may obtain mercy and grace. You see, God is wanting us to confide in Him. Our King is saying, confide in me. Give me your troubles. Give me your struggles. Give me your problems. Give me everything you have. I want them. That's what your King says. And then thirdly, your King deserves total praise. You see, in the sense that the King deserves total praise, if you go back to Matthew chapter 2 and read there, you find an account of the the Magi, if you would. We call them the three wise men in our Christmas stories. But we find the account of the Magi. Has the Magi come and... And, you know, it, it didn't happen all in one night like we portray in our Christmas story. But the Magi made their way. They made their way to come and worship this newborn king. They came to worship the king of Israel. 
the king of Jews, the Jews, if you would. You see, so, so we find that our king deserves praise. No matter how great, how small, how mighty, how, what, whatever we are, our king deserves our praise. We may be the poorest person that lives on the poorest street in town, in the basement of the poorest house on that street, but he deserves our praise. We may be the wealthiest person, you could be the wealthiest person on the face of the earth. You know, you could have wealth that, that, that exceeds, uh, Gates or anybody else, but, but, but he still deserves your praise. No matter where we're at in life, no matter where we're at in our circumstances, Circumstances, no matter what our condition is, we can be healthy as a horse or we can be sick as a dog. He still deserves our praise. He deserves our worship because He is our King. In Revelation chapter 5, you can turn over there a little bit later and you can find that as you read that picture there, you see, find that lamb that was slain, this king that we're talking about. And it said, in the midst of the throne stood a lamb, and as though it had been slain, and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and underneath the earth. And I heard them saying, John said, blessed and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and the lamb forever. Let me tell you who John was talking about. John was talking about his king is he your king is he your king today so Jesus was born king of the Jews Jesus was born king of the Jews he was and let me tell you this he was and he still is a threat to the world there's no other religion. The Jews are the most persecuted people on the face of the earth. There has been more genocidal attempts against the Jews than any other people on the face of the earth. And they have come through it. Every time. But let me tell you something. Uh, the, the church, the blood-bought church, the born-again church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something about us. Let me tell you something about us. Our king... They did, they, they were, the world was threatened by our king when he was born. Herod was, Herod was scared to death of a little baby. And let me tell you something. The world is still fearful of this king that we serve. Because he can't be conquered. He will never be overthrown. He can never be unseated. He wasn't voted in. And he can't be voted out. He never will die. He never will relinquish his throne. And the world is scared. Satan himself trembles at the name of Jesus. The Bible tells that. And every satanic force of hell has attempted to vanquish our king. But they have done so with no success. And I've got news for you, as my friend Dallas Jules would have said. i got some news for you this morning. They will never destroy him. They will never overthrow him. He will never be impeached. He will never be overridden. Our king is king. No matter what happens in the United States of America, no matter what happens in the United Kingdom, no matter what happens in any of the Muslim nations of the world, no matter what happens in Central or South America or any other place on this planet earth that we can name. Listen to me, there is one king that reigns and he reigns true and his name is Jesus and he reigns now and he will reign forevermore. Can you worship him in this place right now?
Guys, I want you to go ahead and cue that video. But I want you to turn it up for me, okay? In His kingdom on earth, Jesus was introduced as King of the Jews. The Messiah. By all the time, He was beheld as being a lowly Nazarene. But even though Jesus was crucified as a thief, He was not a thief. He was crucified as a thief. Accused. He rose as a king. But not just any king. He wasn't a Darius. He wasn't an Alexander. He wasn't a Herod. But he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You understand those 130 kings that that have been deemed as great? Do you understand with me that according to Scripture, they're not exempt, that, that someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, even those that are considered great, that Jesus Christ is Lord, He is King, He is God, He is Jesus! A number of years ago, one of my favorite preachers is, uh, one of my favorite preachers, uh, is, is a West Coast preacher, David Jeremiah. He's a great author. I, I love, I let's try to listen to him at least one time a week. One of the t- most tremendous Bible teachers I've ever heard. But years ago when Dr. Jeremiah was, began pastoring on the West Coast, he invited a fella, a pastor. He was an African American pastor. His name was S.M. Lockridge. And S.M. Lockridge preached this, he may have preached this message more than just at Dr. Jeremiah's church, but I want you to watch and to listen to this portion of the message that Pastor Lockridge preached in Shadow Mountain Church. Go ahead, guys, ladies. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. 
He rewards the diligent and He beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know Him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. Yeah. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know Him? Well, His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His yeah. love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And His yoke is easy. And His burden is light. I wish I could describe Him. For yet He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. That's your king. That's your king. If he's not your king, he can be. If he's not your king, he can be today. I want you to know that. And whatever's happening in your life, whatever's going on with you, he's still king. No matter what's come your way, he's still king. No matter how bad you have failed, he's still king. Because unlike those 130 men that are deemed great, great kings, it's on a scale of comparison. And there is no curve that Jesus has to meet. Because there is none like Him. He is King. He is King. Those people that ran to the Eastern Gate on that Palm Sunday, as we now call it, As they ran over to that eastern gate and they had their palm branches. And they were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the King of Israel. King of the Jews. As they worshipped, He was their King. He was not just a King. He was their King. Jesus wants to be your King today. I don't ask you this right now if you just bow your heads with me. I wonder in this room right now, is there one person in this room that says, I need a king in my life. I don't just need a king, but I need the king. I need Jesus in my life today. I've backslidden, I've wandered far away from God. Or maybe you've never really surrendered to Him before. Jesus wants to be your king. He wants to be that king. He wants to love you. He wants you to confide in Him. He wants you to trust Him. He wants you to praise Him. Are you here in this room this morning? Or maybe you're watching by live stream. And you need a king. You need the king. If that's you, I won't embarrass you, I promise. But just wave your hand at me real quickly right now in this service. Anyone at all in this room. Anyone at all.
this is what I want to ask you to do with me right now. I want to ask everybody in the room to stand to your feet. If you're able, if you're not able, I understand. As you stand to your feet, this is what I want you to do with me right now. They're about to get to the chorus of this song that says, Holy, Holy. And as that song goes into it, it says, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I just want us in this room right now, on this Palm Sunday, to begin to praise our King, the King, with everything that's within us. Praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him. To Him.